0: Egyptologists really who do you think you are? So I listened to an interesting podcast uh, from a series called Science Versus. These two intelligent bubbly women, Wendy Zuckerman, Rose Rimler, they looked at the question ancient aliens who really built the pyramids. Now they looked at this from a perspective of not having studied the pyramids before but once they did they realized how profound they were and so they interviewed several people in their podcast which included Eric von Däniken, the original Aliens guy, Dr. Mark Lehner, the famous Egyptologist, and a, uh, a specialist, Shelby Put. So, uh, Eric von Däniken uh, really started the alien thing with his book, Chariots of the Gods, which sold millions of copies. And here's what Eric said uh, on their program My name is Eric von Däniken. I am Swiss, I'm a writer, and I have published so far 41 books. And then uh, Dr. Mark Lehner is the famous Egyptologist who found the barracks where the builders of the Great Pyramid lived, the breweries where their beer was made that they drank, the bakeries where the bread was made. Uh, I talked with Dr. Lehner at the Mina House Hotel right in the shadow of the Great Pyramid. So here's one of the things Mark said in this podcast. Archaeological information is kind of like a homicide detective. You know, there's bloody socks on the floor. You know, there's muddy tracks going. You have to infer what happened. Okay, so the essence of the podcast was uh, because these ladies realized what a profound thing the pyramid was, maybe it was built by aliens, so they interviewed Eric von Däniken. And uh, then uh, the last interviews were with Dr. Mark Lehner, where he says, of course, science shows that this could have been built by ancient Egyptians, and it, you don't need to go to aliens. So they went back to Eric Von Daniken and said, hey, Mark Lehner is a scientist, shows that you, you know the, the ancient Egyptians built it, but uh, of course Von Daniken is not, not buying it. And so the ladies basically sided with Dr. Mark Lehner. Uh, we'll talk about Shelby Putt in a second. So remember one of the things that Lehner said was that you must infer you're an explorer explorative you know archaeologist you have to infer so the hieroglyphics for instance that are pictured here uh to interpret them sometimes you have to infer sometimes a character can be used as a sound sometimes to represent a word but sometimes it's a determinative to talk about what a general group of symbols means and sometimes uh, egyptologists disagree over the inferences that can be drawn from the hieroglyphs um, so, you know, Dr. Dunn, Chris Dunn, says that you can infer from some high piece of technology like this that how it was manufactured. Now, I manufactured this as a thing I use so I can have my phone near my desk, but you could uh, look at mouse, you know, how is that manufactured? You could take a pen and you could infer from that how it was manufactured, and that's what an engineer does. So, Dr. Lehner, you've got to infer. So I was talking to a University of Chicago Egyptologist a week ago. I told him I was going to be interviewing Chris Dunn, and, of course, Chris is the guy that looks at the technology of ancient Egypt and says, you know, there's some missing pieces for what they needed to manufacture these things because he's the guy that can look at something and tell what it needed to be manufactured. Well, my Egyptologist contact, who was a good teacher, a uh, good scholar, a reasonable person, one who's ready to think outside the box, he just wouldn't accept the idea out of hand that an engineer could trump an Egyptologist. And I thought, man, so what does it take to be an Egyptologist? So I look online, you know, if you're interested in spending the eight or ten years to become an Egyptologist, it talks about the things you need to study on this page so you can obviously language they suggest you know German and and a couple other languages French uh, study art study obviously archaeology study science study the humanities it says study writing and research study religion study literature but notice it doesn't say anywhere to become an engineer so How many engineers become Egyptologists? I would get the idea, almost none, because you're so close to the idea of when an actual engineer tells you something that doesn't fit the things you have as an Egyptologist, you don't accept it. But becoming an Egyptologist is not omniscience. You need to show the same scientific uh, method to someone that comes from outside your discipline, an engineer, as you would anyone else. So shall be put... uh, her part in the in the podcast was to just bring science on the idea the development of the human mind and here's what uh, you know Shelby concludes about ancient Egyptians and their brains completely normal person yes completely normal in in intelligence and in the way they look uh, they would be just a normal person. You know, so it seems to me there's a built-in colonial perspective of Egyptologists. Now, there's some people that will do this from an academic point of view. Say it start, started with the French under Napoleon. Obviously, that was the Enlightenment. It brought in a Western perspective. And then the whole science of Egyptology has had a sort of sort of a stamp, a, a Western stamp. So you, you can take the, that kind of colonial position. But I mean more in the idea that Uh, the Egyptologists insist that the ancient Egyptians only had copper tools to work with. Well, the evidence says they had much more profound tools than that. That's what an engineer says anyway. But no, we want to keep them, this colonial perspective, we want to keep them with only copper tools because, you know, that's what we say. So uh, Dr. Lehner has made uh, some YouTube videos that that try and show that, uh, you know, that, okay, we realized copper tools Broms. probably couldn't cut it, so instead, we how, uh, we slide oh, it in a nice steady motion. You don't want to lift it up and get those grains in no, there? They'll, they'll work themselves. Okay, so they the show the that cutting. a copper saw could cut into granite. Okay, great. Straight lines. Oh, see, you can you do, do it. Well. And then oh, they go on to show that no, that uh, you could you could use a copper pipe to make a hole in granite using the sand again. Okay, so we get that, but but Mark, when Dr. Lehner, to that doesn't night. describe the more advanced things we find. Sure, you can cut granite straight, but let's just take a couple of things. At Abu Awash, the northernmost uh, pyramid of the 100 or so in Egypt there, uh, Chris Dunn found this curved piece of granite. So an engineer, he looks at this curved granite, and he says... To mill that you'd have to have a saw about the size picture there. He actually calculated the size the saw would have to be to put that kind of a of a curved arc in into granite. And so it's interesting that one of the places on the Abrew Ross site, which they said was a boat pit, Chris says no, it's probably the pit that housed the saw, because the pit is the same size that would be needed to house a saw the size that would be needed to cut the granite at Abu wash. Another thing he studies down in Luxor is the the Ramses crowns and heads. There's so many statues of Ramses that are so exact, and uh, he shows that that uh, it would have been much simpler to design them in in, in a simpler way in terms of manufacturing them. But they're designed with highly advanced techniques of uh, elliptoids and stuff. You can see from the diagram the things he gets into as an engineer there. So he says that uh, they uh, had... Uh, what they used was what we would call Cartesian geometry. They might not have called it that, but he shows that they have these orth- orthogonal axes of orientation known as X, Y, and Z. They probably developed the concept of pitch and yaw, he says, the rotational axes that are associated with nav- navigation within three-dimensional space. So why even conceive? Why, why did engineers, the, the, the ancient Egyptians, even conceive of a Ramses crown like is pictured here if there were no tools to make them? they required advanced design. So as I said, some of the boat pits that Egyptians think are boat pits, they probably were, but some of them probably housed the saws. So looking at again at some other Karnak, uh, Ramsey's heads, showing the the incredible uh, design that went into them. These objects, Chris Dunn writes, have the same kind of definitiveness and meticulousness as the dies that form the body of your car. While you're online purchasing your ticket to Luxor, pick up your computer mouse and notice it's it's crafted with the same compound radial surfaces, contours that transition from large to small radii are products of precisely machine molds. We take them for granted, but obviously we, we use them all the time in the modern world. Everything around us. So showing some of the different uh, radii points in these crowns that are on the Ramsey statues, uh, you know it's incredibly complex work. So Kristen says, the sweeping curved surface was not the result of a random burst of artistic, artistic whimsy and a flourish with a, with a copper chisel. It was a decidedly disciplined orderly application of a design with tools that have not yet been found in the archaeological record. So that's what the engineer says. So which inference do you go with? The Egyptologists who say that we don't find the advanced tools, so inference, they don't exist. The Egyptians must have done it with the tools at their disposal. Or you can go with Chris Dunn, the engineer Chris Dunn, who infers advanced technology was needed to achieve the ardent structures that exist in actuality in ancient Egypt. So, Egyptologists, who do you think you are?